I want to talk to you today from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> We're going to begin at verse 13 and go through 27. If you happen to have a smartphone that has a version app on it, you can follow along on that. Open the app and click on the little uh, menu, the three menu bars. They used to call that the hamburger menu. Press on a uh, three menu bar and look for an event near you. And uh, if your phone knows where it is, it'll find the Kerwinsville Alliance Church um, live event. And that has information. It actually has the notes and things from the PowerPoint and the scripture as well that will be helpful to you. So yeah, today we're uh, coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, next week we begin Advent. How about that? How many have all your Christmas shopping is done? Let me see. Yeah. Oh man, there's something wrong with those guys, right? There's three of you. Uh, that's good. How many you're waiting for another month before you start? That would be me. Yeah, I'm going to wait on that. Yeah, I'm kind of a procrastinator. Yeah, and somebody's pointing at the person next to them. I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's good. Hey, I want to talk to you about the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the 16th of these sermons. And I'm going to say something that might sound weird to you. Other pastors will understand. I think maybe you will too, though. Of all the sermon series I have ever done, these past 15 sermons, this series, has transformed me personally more than any others that I have done. And what that is, is evidence not that I'm a good sermon writer, that's not what I'm saying, but that God is involved in this. And that God is working in hearts in this. He's working in my heart in this. It's literally turned my thinking around concerning much of life. Now hearing that, hearing this sermon series might be the most transformative series the pastor has ever preached. If you miss some of them, they're available to you, free. (laughs) They're online. You can go to KermansvilleLions.org and get the podcasts and you can listen to the audio You can watch the video on YouTube at Kermansville Alliance, uh, YouTube channel, and on Facebook. And I would really encourage you to give that a try and see if it helps you in your walk with Christ. As we begin this last message, I have a question I want to ask you. Do you feel that you are living in unprecedented times? Do you feel like, man, these are just unprecedented times? If you feel that way, you're not alone. A lot of people feel that way. In fact, one website I read, it said that the phrase, unprecedented times, that that phrase has become probably the most annoying phrase of our day, because you hear it a lot. I don't think it's the most annoying. I think the phrase, new normal, could probably give it a run for its money, right? We do live in unprecedented times. Everyone does. Everyone has. No matter where your place in history puts you, you would be living in unprecedented times. In fact, that very phrase, unprecedented times, is not something new. It's been around for 225 years. Longer than the United States of America, people have been saying, we live in unprecedented times. And sometimes they mean good stuff about that. Like when we went to the moon, those were unprecedented times. And now, as we're facing this world situation. These are unprecedented times. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. My second question for you is regarding those times that it's not so good. And it's this. Are you able to live well in these times? Can you rise above your circumstances? Can your life be looked upon by you and those around you as good regardless of the economy or the divisiveness in our nation or the political situation or the virus or all the other stuff 
Can you live well when there's no hockey on television? Can you live well when Disney is closed? I think we can, but I don't think it's automatic. I think if we're going to live well in difficult times, it will require a change in our perspective. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount has been all about. Changing your perspective. Not looking at life the way common men and women look at life. Not looking at life backward. And we do look at life backward. For years, if you were honest, you would say, when I read the Beatitudes, it just, I know Jesus said that, so, attaboy Jesus, but I have no idea what he's talking about. Because we would hear those phrases, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, what is that? The poor in spirit? You're lucky if you're poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. I've mourned. I don't feel like that's a good thing. Blessed are the meek. If your perspective is like that of most people, that doesn't make any sense to you at all. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is all about changing your perspective, turning it around. He actually invites you to do that. And as he comes to the conclusion of this beautifully crafted sermon, in this troubled world, Jesus invites you to come in from the storm. No doubt the people of Jesus' day, they felt like they lived in unprecedented times as well. If they knew their biblical history, they would know "Eh, you don't really live in unprecedented times, but I think they probably felt it just like we felt it. Roman occupation of their holy country, their holy land, ruled by pagans. A, A king, Herod, who's nothing more than a puppet and an evil puppet at that. An ungodly religious leadership tying heavy burdens on people's backs and no clear direction. Even the Bible records that when Jesus looked at the people, he saw them as being harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And to those people who were facing those kinds of storms and that kind of difficulty, Jesus says the word, enter. We're going to look at this passage, and not like in bulk, and then talk about it afterward. We're going to read it throughout the morning together. And the first word you're going to see when you look at verse 13 is that word, enter. Enter the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, <laughs> wide and broad is the gate and the road that lead to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Enter. When I think of that word enter, I think of maybe someone who's out in a storm. You know, you're going to your house, you're reaching in your keys and you're trying to get that door open. The wind's blowing, you're getting wet because it's coming down and your, your spouse opens the door and says, come on in, Enter. When Jesus says enter through the gate, he is inviting us to enter a calm place, a place of life in the midst of a great place of struggle. What are we entering? Well, we're entering more than heaven. (laughs) We're entering more than just streets of gold. It's more than paradise. It's more than eternal rest. Jesus says that we're entering life or at least the path to life. It's in the very next verse. In verse 14, it says, but small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The road that leads to life. The path of a life well lived. It would seem that when you RSVP to Jesus' invitation to enter, that you're actually entering a relationship, a living relationship with a living God. You're actually entering life and knowing him personally. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture that speak to us about this, but 
One of them is in John 17, when Jesus is praying for us to the Father. And in verse 3, he says this, he says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. A life well lived is a life where you know the one who made you and the one who spent his blood to redeem you. And knowing him, you find the ability to live well in a relationship with him. So my son is 33 years of age. He lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He has a good job. He has a good wife. He has a nice house. He has a good church. And they have a baby on the way. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I'm a grandfather and expecting to be another one on March 4th, right? <laughs> he is nothing, this is my son, is if he is nothing else, he is capable. He's a capable man to live a good life. And yet, when he's facing a decision, a big decision, he calls dad. He calls me on the phone. I did the same thing when I was his age and my dad was still living. I would call my dad, especially when life was hard. I called him when I needed help installing a furnace. Dad, can you come and help me install this furnace? Yep, when do you need me? I called him when I was trying to decide which car to buy. I called him when someone in my family was sick. I called him when I didn't know just who to call and what else to do. And in every one of those examples, when I called my dad, he always answered the call. And he helped me to live, to live well. Now, I know that there are men, there are fathers who don't answer the call. They don't have that capacity. They're not living as they should live. Put them aside for a moment. And let me say, if my father had the capacity to do that, and if Tim Shields' father has the capacity to do that, you can be positively sure that your father in heaven has the capacity to do that. That when you need him, you can go to him and he'll answer the call. That you can share your struggles with him and your worries in prayer. Don't just worry. Talk to him about what you're worried about. That you can open your Bible and hear from him and he will speak to you. When was the last time you did that, by the way? When was the last time you opened your Bible and said, I just need you to talk to me, Jesus. Would you please talk to me? He will. He'll answer the call. You can trust him to listen to you and to comfort you in all your troubles. And you can expect him to walk with you when your life is tough. God actually built you in order that you would have a relationship with him. And that relationship gives you the ability, the ability to live well in tough times. You're invited. Please enter. <laughs> Come in. Now, if you want to live well in the, in the kingdom, <laughs> you're going to have to uh, use your twit filter. <laughs> Do you know what a twit filter is? The word twit, it's a British word. It means someone who is a fool. And uh, it may be derived from the word net, uh, what is it, nitwit? Nitwit? Twit? I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> when email was a thing, do you remember that, when email was a thing? When email was a thing, there were people who would send you forwards of forwards of forwards of forwards of forwards. Some of you are nodding. You've had those, right? They would send you forwards about how there really are UFOs in Roswell. And they would send you forwards about how President H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, 
is the Antichrist. They did the math with the letters in his name. And they would send you forwards about things like prayer requests for that little girl in Saginaw, Michigan that has that rare disease. And then prayer request is stamped right on it. This prayer request expires 12 67 You know, it was an old prayer request, but they're still forwarding that stuff to you. And a lot of people found it annoying. I just found it annoying. The forwards, the forwards, the forwards, the forwards. I was talking to a buddy of mine. We were laughing about it. I said, man, I just don't know why they do that. I have certain people, that's all they send me. My buddy says, you need a twit filter. I said, what's a twit filter? He said, oh, Steve, it's a filter on your email app that when it sees that that email is from that person, it automatically deletes it. You don't even see that email ever. You don't see anything from them ever again. It's the equivalent of the unfollow option on Facebook these days. You just aren't bothered by that anymore. Now, you may find this a strange concept, but I think Jesus is advertising filtering. And I say that because of the very next verse, verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about heretics, obviously, false teachers. But what he is saying applies to anyone who would try to divert you from the path of life by the things that they say and the words that they use. This would apply to anyone whose words keep you from living well in tough times. Watch out for them. I personally apply it this way. I don't mindlessly consume any media. Do you understand what I mean by that? So I don't just scroll mindlessly through any social media feed. I I don't allow that to enter my mind and stay that way. You know, the false prophets are not only found in religious circles. They exist and thrive inside religious and outside of religious circles. And they pretend to speak the truth with authority. They pretend that they're talking sometimes on behalf of God. And, and they do it with confidence. And Jesus says, watch out for them. And that word watch that he uses there means pay attention. Not in the sense of paying attention like heeding what they say. <laughs> they're false prophets. You would never heed what they say. But you pay attention to them like you would pay attention to a kleptomaniac who's visiting your house. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on him. Or you would pay attention to the false prophet or the person who's leading you off the path of life. You would pay attention to him like you would like you would a womanizer who's talking to your wife at a gathering or uh, a flirt who's talking to your husband in that context. You're paying attention to them to watch out for the danger that's inherent in them. That word, watch out, it's related to uh, the nautical world. It describes what someone who's at the wheel of a ship, the helmsman would do as he's navigating the water, making sure that he's on course, looking at the stars. Exactly, this is the way I need to go. I'm not going to allow this thing to wreck. Jesus says, be mindful of these things. And when I personally have not been mindful of media that I'm consuming, whether it's podcasts or cable news or a movie or a television show or a video game or social media or gossip in the workplace or television, I'm sorry, telephone conversations, I become unhealthy when I'm not mindful about what I'm taking in. Emotionally, spiritually, If I'm not mindful, I'm distracted from the path of living well, distracted from the path of life. You too. It's the same. Don't mindlessly consume any media. Jesus indicates in this passage that kingdom people are discerning people. He says in verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus isn't instructing you here to be judging with a condemning heart. We talked about that on November 8th when we looked at chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Jesus is instructing you to be discerning, to be mindful, to be thinking and evaluating what you're hearing, to consider where these ideas would lead you, to feel the emotion that's being perked up inside you as you're as you're receiving this and saying, is that a good thing? Is that leading me on the path of life? Or is it turning me toward the way of destruction? The sermon is inspecting the fruit. And the Bible talks about fruit inspection in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5 and verse 19, it says, the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, we're all like, yeah, 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 no, no, no. We stop reading. But we stop reading right where it might become more relevant to us personally, where it says discord, that means division between people, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Then he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's that phrase, the kingdom of God. If you've been with us for the past 15 servants, you have heard that phrase over and over again. Because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And he says, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, those who produce this ugly fruit of rage and anger and dissension, jealousy, factions, they're not behaving like kingdom people. In fact, maybe they're not even kingdom people. But if you keep reading in Galatians, he tells you what kind of fruit you should look for. This is the kind of fruit that when you enter the path, this is the kind of fruit that keeps you on a path to life. Love, joy, peace. This is in 523 of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. So we need to be watchful concerning false prophet. And you might find people who, who have a lot of charisma and a lot of, a lot of power in their speech. You might find them doing really things that catch your eye. They might do impressive things. They might set wrongs to rights. Yeah, that's a guy I want to get behind. They want to even like expose evil and expose demons, even drive out demons and maybe even do miracles and maybe even do it in Jesus' name. And Jesus says in verse 21, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So you need to be watchful of false prophets. And when you see bad fruit, you need to turn on your twit filter. Not allow that to pollute your thinking and divert you from the path. Really, if you want to live well in hard times, then you need to live as a citizen of the kingdom. And that's kind of what the Sermon on the Mount has been about from the very start. As Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount in verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation in the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So, to live life well when times are tough. Build your life on Jesus' words. 
feel like the entire summation of the Sermon on the Mount, it's very difficult to sum it up in one sentence, and you'd probably have a hundred opinions on this, but I feel like he's telling you to live a life of humble confidence in him. The essence of the Sermon on the Mount is humility before God. It's recognizing your own poverty of spirit and knowing that anything that's good in you has to come from God. It's surrendering your demands in meekness before God and knowing that he will give you all you need because he knows what you need before you even ask. It is hungering for righteousness and knowing that Christ's righteousness will fill you. It is being known as one who is merciful because you yourself have received mercy. It is living with a pure heart because he has sanctified your heart. It is being a peacemaker because he has made his peace with you. That's what it means to build your life on these words, to live as a citizen of the kingdom with humble confidence in Christ. And as you do this, you will experience peace because you are his. You will find rest in him and in that reality. That's what being blessed is all about. You know, we often think being blessed is having two cars and a garage and healthy kids and good vacation. That's not what Jesus says being blessed is about. When he speaks those beatitudes and lays a foundation for the kingdom there, he tells you blessing and being his means that you will be comforted when you need it and that you will inherit the earth and that you will be filled, and you will be shown mercy, and you will see God, and you will be called the children of God, and you will, you will own the kingdom of heaven. And God himself is your reward in heaven. So rest in that reality. Rest in that reality. I asked you at the beginning of the message, I said to you, can we live well in tough times? Can we as Christians, as believers as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus, can we live well in tough times? I believe that those in the kingdom are the ones who have the most hope of living well in tough times. And I honestly believe that this is the world's only hope, that kingdom people will live the way Jesus taught us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the world's only hope, that we would live as Christ's followers citizens of the kingdom. You've entered the kingdom, right? Have you come in? Has the door been opened for you and you came in? Have you seen your own poverty of spirit? Are you poor in spirit? Do you say, I don't really have anything worth giving to God? Have you, have you looked to satisfy your hunger for righteousness in the person of Christ rather than trying to do it yourself? Have you found forgiveness for the things that you've done wrong so you know that your sins are forgiven? By his blood? Have you entered through the gate? It's interesting if you go back and read that first verse where he says, Enter through the gate, he says the gate is hard to find. And I think people struggle to find the gate because we look for it the wrong places in the wrong ways. But when you're ready and when you're really looking for it, you find it. If you're ready, it's not hard to enter. You enter the kingdom by humbling yourself, being honest with God concerning your own condition. You say words like this to him. God, I know that in me there is very little to brag about. (laughs) I do wrong more often than I would like to, and I surely do wrong more often than you would like me to. But I believe Jesus died for that wrong. 
that he died for my sins on a cross. I humble myself and admit I need that. I trust Jesus. Please forgive me. I want to live as a citizen of the kingdom. That's entering the kingdom. And then when you enter the kingdom, you follow him. You maintain that mindset. Not just when you go maybe to the altar in your grandma's church that time, or not just when you were baptized that time, but you maintain that kingdom mindset of humility before God, serving him, following after him, living as a citizen of the kingdom. And there's nothing better to do. And that is the only, pass- that is the only passage of life. That is the only highway of peace. It is the only path that doesn't lead to destruction, the path of peace in Christ. If you haven't entered that, if you've never made your peace with God, I encourage you to do so today. And if you have entered it, I encourage you to ask him to help you live in that manner. Why don't we pray to that end as, we, uh, as the worship team returns? If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand as we pray. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Lord Jesus, that word, enter. (laughs) Just to think that you would look at people who recognize they're morally bankrupt, have poverty of spirit. You would look at us and say, come in out of the rain. Come in out of the storm. Come in and have a seat. Come in and walk this path. That is an amazing thought. We are thankful for that. We recognize that we don't have anything to bring to you, but you have everything to give to us. And so we come before you, Jesus, maybe some for the first time, and just say, I realize that I want to walk through the gate, that I want to be part of the kingdom, that I need to have this shame taken away from me and this guilt removed. We would ask that you would do that, Father. That they would speak those words to you. And as they turn from themselves and trust Jesus, they would recognize that they're forgiven. That they would walk in newness of life. Not because of what they're doing, but because of what you are doing in them. We would pray that prayer for all of us. That we as kingdom people would live well, in good times and in bad. Because this is the world's only hope. Make it so in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.